This is the Fertile Mindset Podcast, where we explore all the emotional aspects of fertility to support you on your path to parenthood. My name is Sarah Holland. I'm the Fertile Mindset Coach and a mother to two children after my own fertility challenges. I hope you find all the support and inspiration you need within this podcast to carry you forward on your fertility journey towards your own successful outcome. It's also my wish that through listening to these episodes, you rediscover how to enjoy life now and live it to the full while you wait for your baby. Now, let's begin today's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Fertile Mindset podcast, where I'm speaking to Kate Davis about how to approach fertility charting in an informed and empowered way. Charting my cycles was something that massively helped me when I was trying for a baby, and it helped me identify problems with my cycle and get the right support in place so that I could conceive naturally. However, I've also seen that fertility charting can feel complex and stressful, and one thing we definitely don't need on our fertility journeys is more stress. So I invited Kate to join me on the podcast to speak about charting with her in-depth knowledge and expertise as a fertility nurse consultant, fertility coach and founder of yourfertilityjourney.com. I've known Kate for over a decade now and I love how she explains often complex issues in a clear and understandable way. She also has so much understanding and compassion for those on a fertility journey and I was thrilled that she took up my invitation to speak with us today. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation now and it helps fertility charting become an empowering part of your fertility journey too. Hello, Kate. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's lovely to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to chat as always to you, Sarah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a little while, hasn't it, since we had a proper chat and I know we had a good catch up before we hit record. <laughs> and, and the topic that um, I invited you to talk about, because it's something that I am very passionate about. I know it's something that absolutely helped me to conceive my first baby and I would have been lost without it. And I know it's something that you are a huge expert on and have such in-depth information and, and guidance and support with. And that is fertility charting. Um, so before we get into all the great stuff we want to talk about with fertility charting, I wonder if you'd kind of just give us an overview of what we're talking about here in case we have listeners who've, who've never heard of fertility charting and don't know what this is. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, fertility charting, it can be done in so many different ways, actually. Um, and in my experience, it's not always done in the best way. So it's, it's really important to learn about your body and particularly your fertility indicators, because that's what you're charting. So our our body, we have three fertility indicators that Mother Nature has given us, which until you start trying to conceive, generally you have absolutely no idea about. And it's quite um, enlightening when you do finally find out about these and learn about them. And the three are, the first one being temperature, which a lot of people will know about. The second one is cervical mucus. And the third one is your how your cervix changes throughout the cycle. And all three of those indicators change depending on where you are in your cycle and your hormones and ovulation. And it, together, when you correlate that information, you don't need to use all three, but two together is the best way to chart. When you correlate all of that information, it gives you such a wealth of information with regards to when you're fertile, when you're ovulating, and also 
certainly from my perspective, it gives me the opportunity to look at charts and, and look for any, any concerns I might have. It gives me quite a lot of diagnostic data, if you like. So things like what the luteal phase is doing, what the follicular phase looks like, are there any disturbances that could indicate things like PCOS? Although I would never diagnose PCOS from it, it certainly gives me a good indication of what's going on hormonally. And there's quite a lot of factors that you can pick up from it. So it gives a wealth of information, not only to the individual, but also for somebody like me, who's kind of looking at charts on a regular daily basis. <laughs> It, it is that kind of window, isn't it? That window into what is actually going on down there. Because I think a lot of people think of charting and they often say to me, you know, I'm using an app. I'm using an app to chart my cycle. And when I ask, they're, they're just looking at the day their period comes and how long it is until the next period and thinking, well, it's somewhere in the middle there that I'm ovulating, you know, and that's, that's how some people do tend to look at their cycles because it's what we're taught at school, isn't it? You know, you kind of ovulate in the middle of your cycle and we just take that as as fact even if it isn't necessarily true but yeah the charting so much more detailed and, and obviously looking for all our individual signs of what is going on at the moment um yeah it's, a, it's an amazing window isn't it into what's going on takes away the mystery doesn't it it is it really does and I think you're absolutely right you know I, I actually get quite concerned about ladies who are using apps and, and those apps that where you're just literally charting your period it's it's really kind of calendar charting you're charting charting it basically on a glorified calendar it's not really giving you any great information and I think because as you mentioned in school we're told oh you ovulate on day 14 of a 28 day cycle in theory yeah in practice very rarely um your ovulation is certainly never on the same day or rarely will it be on the same day some women it might be but actually rarely it will move around um most women won't even have a regular 28 day cycle that again that can move around so if you're having a shorter cycle or a longer cycle your ovulation is going to be earlier or later and i think we don't we don't often know that and so i see a lot of ladies who are perhaps using a calendar method to chart their temperatures or sorry to chart their um periods and have that assumption and are probably actually when we look at it, into it in more depth completely missing the ovulation window because they're targeting that day 14 but in reality their ovulation is a lot later so I think it can be quite dangerous and misleading so I do discourage using that method actually because it does it does worry me that a lot of women are really missing the time when they need to be having sex in order to conceive and if they're only looking at the potential day of ovulation or the ovulation window that they perceive they're having and only targeting sex around that time, then they could end up you know, struggling to conceive as a result because they're not getting the right time. Yeah. And, and how heartbreaking is that, that that could be the only reason, you know, that simply the timing is wrong. So and of course, there can be many other factors as well, because once you start charting and like you said using it as a diagnostic tool to look at the different phases of the cycle and see if and when ovulation is happening um, there's so much yeah information that can be gleaned from it now if um if people are listening to this and thinking well that sounds a bit complex you know how do I take the temperature and cervical mucus and checking cervix you know this is all new to me and and where would I even begin what's what is the best way to begin charting to make it as easy as possible okay so you can decide to use an app or a monitor if you want to, or you can just decide to just get some graph paper um, or download. There's lots of facility charts that you can download from the internet. 
and just literally start taking your temperature. So every morning, once you wake up, before you get out of bed, before you talk, before you sit up, take your temperature. You can take your temperature in various different ways, um, orally, which tends to be the most preferred for obvious reasons, but you've got rectally <laughs> and vaginally. If you do decide on a route, don't change that mid-cycle mid because you will get a different reading and obviously also for hygiene reasons you wouldn't want to be swapping it around <laughs> <laughs> um, but so you take temperature every morning ideally at the same time now when you're because I teach this method also to as to avoid conception um, so a method of natural contraception when you're using it as a method of natural conception you do need to be really um, specific with when you're taking your temperature take it at the same time every day clearly when you're using it for fertility you don't need to be quite as specific and I think it would drive you crazy if you did so if it's the weekend and you have a lie-in don't worry about it you know take your temperature it will be slightly higher because your temperature your basal body temperature raises by 0.1 of a degree for every hour that you're late in taking it because your body has started naturally to wake up because your basal body temperature is your waking temperature um, but just, you know, don't worry about that. Just take it in the morning if you want to. I tend to recommend using a uh, thermometer that has a memory facility on it, because then once it beeps, you can just put it back on your nightstand and drift off back to sleep if you want to, or slowly wake up and you're not having to scroll it down on a piece of paper or put it into an app. And then you can you can do it a little bit later when you're a bit more awake. So you're not going to make errors as well. And then with regards to cervical mucus, as I mentioned, your cervical mucus changes throughout the month. And it, that is in response to rising estrogen levels. So at the beginning of the cycle, when you've got your period, you won't notice any cervical mucus. It's very likely if you've got any, it's going to be masked by blood loss. But possibly you don't have any. And then as the estrogen levels start to rise, as you go through the first part of the cycle, and you start to notice a thickening of a cervical mucus. So you might not notice any to begin with, and then suddenly it's there, and it can be what quite white, clumpy, could be a bit chalky, um, quite thick. And then as it transitions, whereas estrogen continues to rise and you get close to ovulation, then it could transition into this kind of very silky, thinner, um, quite profuse amount of cervical mucus. Now, a lot of people term that as egg white cervical mucus. I hate that term I hate that term with a passion one because I think how disgusting <laughs> because every time you're looking at egg white you're then thinking about your survival oh, yeah <laughs> um, but also I think it's misleading because I think everyone is desperately looking for this mm. egg white mucus and actually the best way is to think right when do I notice my cervical secretions more when do I feel damp when do I feel wet when when am I noticing a lot of secretion that is your fertile secretion. And that might be around for one day, two days, three days. It's only a short period of time, but that is indicating that you're either ovulating or about to ovulate. So it's a great indicator. Your temperature will rise post ovulation. So your temperature is always an indication that ovulation has occurred. Your cervical mucus is always an indicator that you're, um, like I said, you're, you're about to ovulate or you're ovulating. So then if you go back to temperature, you get this temperature rise, and your temperature then stays elevated in the upper quadrant. If you kind of imagine a four quadrant graph in the upper right quadrant, your temperature would stay elevated for the duration of the luteal phase, which is the time from ovulation to your next period. If you conceive, it will stay elevated and you might actually notice a secondary rise as well. If you don't conceive, it will drop down maybe a day or so before your next period. 
But with that information, with the cervical mucus, put that with the temperature and you've got quite a good indication of when you're fertile and any sex that occurs in the five days prior to ovulation can result in a pregnancy. So it's really good way of looking at it. Your cervix, that is a little bit more tricky. <laughs> uh, not everybody's cup of tea to have a little fish around inside, but for people that do want to do it, and particularly if you're struggling to notice cervical mucus, then it's worthwhile getting to know and understand your body. And I love explaining this because whenever I explain it, if I'm explaining it to a patient, she will do exactly what I'm about to tell you in a minute. And if now that I can't see you, Sarah, and I can't <laughs> see your listeners, but I'm hoping that they all will do the same. So when your cervix, when you're not fertile, your cervix is very low in the vagina and it feels like the end of your nose. So now I'm imagining everybody tapping the end of their nose. When you're that's what I'm doing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, when you start to become more fertile, your cervix moves up in the vagina, so it's harder to feel, and it feels like your earlobe. So it transitions from that hard nose to the soft earlobe. And I'm literally doing it now as I'm explaining it to you as well. <laughs> <laughs> and it just makes me laugh because every time I do that, that's what, what happens. Um, and that's a really good indicator, but it can be tricky to identify it and it can take a little bit of work. You might also feel a little dimple in the cervix as well, because that's where the cervix slightly opens as you become fertile. So there's lots that you can find out with your body and like I said I remember when I first learned about this Sarah and actually I, I will confess I did not well no I did learn no I tell a lie I did learn about it before I had children but then for some reason I didn't actually use it to have children I don't know why I didn't I just didn't um but it's it often like I said you don't know about it until you start trying and then you, this opens up this whole new world about your body that you never knew which is so empowering isn't it it really, yes, it so is. And those three signs that you're showing, they all happen for a reason as well, don't they? You know, isn't it true that the cervical mucus is is actually, you know, what is in there is supposed to help the sperm reach the egg? Is that right? Am I right there? Yeah, you're right on, on two counts, actually. So what it helps is it helps the passage of sperm to the egg. So if you looked at cervical mucus when you're not fertile under the microscope, it's very, really fibrous. If you then look at fertile cervical mucus under the microscope, it's like train tracks. It, sperm can zoom up it, but it also feeds the sperm. So the sensible mm. sperm that are going to reach the egg are the ones that hang around in the cervix and they feed on the cervical mucus. The non-sensible sperm are the ones, sperm, the ones that I think oh, I can't bother with that and go straight for the egg, but actually run out of energy and never meet it. Um, so yeah, so it's got a lot of goodness in it to provide the energy, the vital energy and the transport to this to the egg wow i did not know that about sensible sperm and non-sensible <laughs> sperm <laughs> that's a new one for me <laughs> so you know i found it fascinating and to know that my body was you know working in this way and i could see the signs and i think great that means that you know ovulation should be here soon everything's working as it should be and then if i noticed that the the fluid stopped but then my temperature went up it was so reassuring as well to know that i had ovulated and you know then i could wait and see you know if i was pregnant or not because i charted for two and a half years until i was pregnant the first time mm -hmm. um and yeah, I, I absolutely loved charting. I adored it from day one. I read Tony Weschler's book, yeah. In Charge of Your Fertility. I read it cover to cover and it's a big book, isn't it? <laughs> and 
Yeah, but really good. And I remember that she said in there about when she first learned about this as well, um, that she before she knew about what the signs meant, that she actually thought that the changes in the fluid and the increase and sometimes a massive increase, there was something wrong with her. She thought she had some kind of vaginal infection or something, didn't she? And, and it was only when she then learnt that she said, no, this is amazing. This is how a woman's body works and it's it, how it needs to work and it's showing it's fertile. So it completely flips how we look at our bodies and how we understand those those signs so you use the word empowering and I I really believe it is you know I think fertility charting is one of the best things that we can do for our fertility I know that from you know my own experience and I've seen it with so many women that I've supported but I've also seen the other side of it I've seen people saying well I tried to do charting um, but I became kind of all consumed by it and obsessed by it. And I couldn't really ever get to sleep because I was worried that I wouldn't get up at the right time or my temperatures were all over the place and I couldn't really interpret it. And it made me feel more panicked, you know, um, and they found it stressful. So it can either be empowering and amazing or it can be really stressful and overwhelming. And, and how do we get the balance? You know, what, what do you think is happening for those people that are finding it stressful? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. Um it's and I think also it doesn't have to be empowering and stressful just individually so I think it, if you're if you're doing fertility charting and it's and you may be doing it for a while I think you can wax and wane with it so it could be that at times you find it really empowering and then the, another time you might think this is just too much I need to take a step back I need a break and I think if that's the case you absolutely need a break I think traditionally um, and I think a lot of women, probably a lot of your listeners, will have perhaps taken their, their app or their charts to their doctor and their doctor will have said, don't do that. It's just going to stress you out. And there is this definite perception amongst um, clinicians that it is really stressful. And I think we need to change that narrative because, like I said, I don't think it's always going to be stressful there are going definitely going to be times just like anything I've had women who sometimes just can't bear even to look at their supplements because they're finding the very act of taking their supplements a daily reminder that they're not conceiving um so I think it, it's like anything it will wax and, and wane but I do think we need to change the narrative of it always being stressful um I think for some women it is as we mentioned earlier incredibly empowering and it's an element of something that they can control when everything else around their fertility they, they're struggling with, they can't control that. So it's something that gives them that control. And you mentioned, Sarah, about that reassurance piece that it gave you and how important that is. Like you, I do see women that just try to do it and feel that it's not for them. And I think that's absolutely fine. If it's not for you and you do feel this adding to your burden, don't do it don't do it you may have actually gained enough information from the times that you were doing it to actually understand your body better and know know that the most important thing that you can do is ideally know when you ovulate and make sure you're having regular sex throughout the cycle every two to three days and then you can't go wrong you can't go wrong so I think that it's important not to feel that you failed if you can't do it or you're finding it stressful you will have learned so much already and it's just putting that to use and then maybe taking the focus off hmm. trying to conceive or yeah. charting. You're what right. I also, sorry, 
sorry you you care but I was just thinking there when you say about actually sometimes you can let it go because some women do have regular cycles we're not talking necessarily the 28 with the 14 ovulation but just that every month it is the same you know every month it's the same length they they notice they're ovulating the same time they notice the cervical mucus and you know that that's kind of if it's happening month in month out I guess it's less pressure to know exactly what's happening every single month would that be yeah absolutely and I think if if everything is too stressful even just observing your cervical mucus which is so easy to do just every time you go to the toilet you know what do you see it's almost something that we probably do anyway without thinking about it you know because you do you sit there and you think oh okay what's going on you know you probably don't even think about it so that that could be a way of observing and certainly your cervical mucus is probably the most accurate indicator so if that's the only thing you can do then that's great you know that is that is really useful another thing talking about stress and pressure that I'm noticing with it I think it's a, a kind of um an unexpected consequence of women using data and apps and monitors and femtech a lot more is that I'm noticing that men are actually feeling the pressure. So women are sharing, well, it's lovely to share, isn't it, your data with your partner um, so that your partner can feel a part of the fertility journey because we know that often men are very marginalised um, when it comes to fertility. But so you share the data with your partner so that your, your partner has an idea of when you're ovulating. But that, in some circumstances, is increasing the pressure that men feel, and then that is leading to erectile dysfunction or performance anxiety. Mm. So if that is the case for you and your partner, I would say, as lovely as it is to share, don't share. (laughs) Don't (laughs) share. Keep when you're fertile to yourself and try and make sex more about the reason why you fell in love with each other in the first place and less Mm. about baby making. And having regular sex would hopefully mean that your husband or your partner might be thinking, okay, oh, maybe is she ovulating today? I don't know, she's not said, okay, well, that's fine. Maybe, maybe she's not. And it might take that, that pressure off a little bit. Have you come across that, Sarah? Yeah, definitely. And I remember it myself as well, that I never, I didn't feel like I wanted to share. It felt like it was yeah. like TMI in a way, you know, it's just not even, not even from the kind of, you know, oh, does he really want to understand all these cervical mucus changes, but more just like, do we don't need to know that exact date I needed to know it just because I was the one managing it in that way you know and I wanted to have that date in my mind but I didn't think it was something that we needed to discuss in any great detail so so yeah and you want to have that spontaneity and and just feel like you say just like a loving couple and not just be about the calendar and the pressure and you've got to be home at time on time on that date that I've circled on the calendar for you you know it's huge pressure and I think we need to remember um, like you say, men um, can be kind of marginalised and not talked about what their experience is like in this whole fertility journey and and how it impacts on them. Um, it doesn't seem to be kind of given the same um, airspace, does it? You know, airtime to talk about it. It seems like it's not as important, the impact, but it's a very real impact. And mm. and I think, yeah, that's good to be sensitive. Thank you for, for sharing that. Is there something else you just mentioned, um, the word femtech? which is quite quite a new word, isn't it? Um, I know it's definitely new since I was charting when I began in 2003 or whenever I began charting a long time ago. Um, so what what is Femtech and can it help us overcome any of these problems with charting, you know, about the stress of taking it every day, taking the temperature every morning and things? Yeah, okay. So Femtech is basically your apps and your monitors that are available on the market. There are so many of them. Um, I think if anyone is is interested in looking into those, then I would say do your research because it really really will depend on 
what you feel is right for you. Um, I think a, a monitor where it's monitoring, monitoring some physiological data is going to give you a lot more information than, like you said, than just a calendar app. Um, apps that perhaps you can just take your basal body temperature independently and, in, and put in your cervical mucus obviously very good and you've got quite a lot of control over that one app that i would recommend um if you just want to do basal body temperature is one called um feed your, uh, not feed your body read your body um, <laughs> and that was developed by a colleague of mine and it's really good it's very accurate my concern with a lot of these um apps is that the algorithms aren't great um so for example fertility friend is absolutely not my friend and not my favorite one by any means because I often find the algorithm is incorrect and again that's misleading um it just it's just that the algorithms some in some of them aren't, aren't as good as we would like them to be yet and that's not to say they might not be and the technology is going to grow and get better um but I think it they can they can be fantastically useful I think women are wanting to use them hence the demand that the femtech industry is seeing and the in the increase in the femtech industry it's because women want this data they want to mm. put information onto their phones or whatever um, and i think it's it can be incredibly useful and as i mentioned earlier i think clinicians i'm one of them we do need to change our perception i was very anti apps for a very long time and would much prefer uh, charting paper charting to a certain extent I still do prefer paper charting initially because I think you learn so much more from it and you're putting your own cover line in etc etc um, but I still think that we do need to embrace the technology and as I mentioned before you know when you go and see your doctor and your doctor kind of dismisses the charting that you've been doing that's soul destroying and I think that narrative does need to change and we, need, we do need to start embracing it for our patients because that's what they want to do. Yeah, that's going back to that. That is a tricky one, isn't it? With um, going along to your doctor, because that is often your first point of call. That's where you're going for your tests and potential diagnosis and suggestions about treatment. And if you've been charting yourself, which I know is the situation I found myself in kind of two years of charting, given me a huge amount of information, seeing that actually the first year I hardly ovulated, which I wouldn't have known if I hadn't been charting because I was getting periods, but there was nothing going on in between. Um, and then having very irregular cycles, you know, my cycles would go from anywhere from 20 days to about 35 days. And I always ovulated and I could see when it was, but it was a very different day every cycle, you know, because of that. Yeah. And so I, I, I took all these, I literally printed out all my charts, <laughs> had a big folder, went for my first fertility specialist appointment. And they looked at it and just handed it back and said, we, we don't understand this. You probably know more about this than we do. We're not going to consider this at all. You know, you're, you're obviously not ovulating if your, your cycles are this different, um, and I'd already had a few chemical pregnancies, you know, I'd had a positive test and then my period had come. And I said, but I had a, you know, a positive test here and a positive test here. Surely I can't get pregnant without, you know, ovulating. And they said, well, maybe you ovulated then, but not on any of the other days, you know. So it was very, I felt like we were speaking two different languages, you know, it was very difficult. Um, and luckily I did then go on and find a clinic that was supportive of supporting my cycle in that way. But it's, it's not always understood, is it? Or appreciated that you've you've got all these charts and you've got this information that you've gained so how can that be approached with the doctor it's a really difficult one because mm. i think um the perceptions about fertility charting go right back to before the pill so you know when women were using the method a lot 
as as their only method of contraception and then along came the pill and that blew fertility charting out of the window no one was interested in fertility charting and that's where the attitudes of yeah clinicians remain unfortunately is that you know it's not useful but what we know is all the research shows you that your time to conception can be dramatically reduced by fertility charting even up to as much as six months so isn't it best to encourage women to fertility chart and then hopefully that means if they can see they're going to they're obviously going to not have to go through invasive investigations Mm. invasive expensive emotionally burdened fertility treatment now i'm not saying that you know women don't need fertility treatment of course they do there's a large percentage that do but there's also a large percentage of women that just need that knowledge and that education and if we continue to not give that to women we're doing them a disservice yeah i agree absolutely and there are so like you said it's used as a diagnostic tool as well from you know people trained like yourself to be able to look at it and and it can perhaps save going down other invasive routes if we can understand what's going on and and take less action i mean this doctor that looked at my charts gave them back to me also then just started adding my name to the ivf waiting list for nhs ivf and i said hang on no i don't i don't want ivf yet you know i want to see if i can help this cycle where I've got a short luteal phase you know that's what I'd like help with first and they said you know sorry we can just put you on the IVF list that's all we can do so it is frustrating but that's why I wanted to speak to you and show you know everyone that there are other ways and and you need to kind of cast your net a bit wider sometimes and find the people that um, can really advise and support you with um, these areas and with the charting and getting to know your cycle and, and see if anything can be done there to help you conceive with minimal intervention maybe you know or know what the next right step is know if IVF is appropriate you know there's so much that we can tell from this Absolutely. yeah it's really important thank you for for having this conversation here you know and um is there any kind of last tips that you'd like to share or anything if, if someone's feeling a bit overwhelmed by this, a bit nervous, perhaps worried about doing something, you know, that their doctor might go, oh, there's no, no founding in that, you know, how do you, how can they best approach it now? Yeah, I, I think if it's something that you want to do and you feel that you're going to get a lot of information from it and it's going to empower you on your fertility journey, I would say just, just go for it. You don't have to share the information with your doctor if you don't want to, if you don't feel comfortable in doing that. Um, but it's information that you're going to have for you. Mm. I met a lady a few years ago who was in her, I think, 60s. She'd gone through the menopause and she charted the whole of her her life from you know when she was a teenager to going through the menopause to when the menopause had completely, completely gone through it. And it was it was just such golden information. And she could actually see when she conceived her pregnancy. She had three children in the end. And she mm-hmm. could see when she conceived them. And that was golden information and empowering. It needs to go into a museum, really, because it was <laughs> amazing. Yeah. A woman's life. It was just reams yeah. and reams and reams and reams of paper. It was incredible. Wow. Um, and, you know, I think if, if, you, if you feel that this would empower you, then do it. And don't worry about perceptions. Perceptions hopefully will one day change. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's something as well that becomes a habit, you know, it becomes very easy and very part of your daily life. And um, if people are getting, you know, too worried about will I wake up on time? And will I always take the temperature at the right time? Um, I love that advice that you said about actually, you know, it doesn't matter if the odd one is slightly later, because you've had a line at the weekend, you know, it's looking at the overall um, theme of your chart, isn't it? And seeing what's happening with it. I know for me, how, how many years is it since I've charted years now, because 
Um, yeah, nine years, maybe 10 years. I don't know since I last picked up a, a thermometer and did charting yeah. regularly. But still, when my alarm goes off in the morning, I will often reach out and think, oh, it's take my temperature time. You know, it's just become <laughs> such an automatic thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, it does, you know, it becomes just part of what you do. And, and I, I found it so exciting and interesting because I wanted to see what was happening. I wanted to see where the line was going, you know, and understand what was going on inside my body. And eventually I had my own pregnancy chart, like you were just talking about there with, with the woman there charting hers. And it was beautiful to see that temperature go up and stay up yeah. and then know that I could, yeah, know that I could take a test finally. So yeah, it was, it's, it's a fascinating thing to do. And I think it helps us really take back ownership of our bodies doesn't it and understanding 100 percent, yeah, yeah. I, as we said right at the very beginning it's one of the most empowering things that you can do um, yeah. so I would encourage anyone to at least give it a try and see how you get on wonderful well, thank you so much Kate for your time I know that you have a huge amount of information and support available through the work that you do at your fertility journey so we will be adding all your links um, to social media to your website and to your podcast on our own podcast page because I know you co-host with Natalie Silverman the fertility podcast which is a phenomenal podcast it led the way for all other fertility podcasts Um, so yeah and I know that you have lots of um, you know sessions there where you talk about um, all different areas of fertility health alongside Natalie so it's a, it's a wonderful podcast to listen to and your website is at your fertility journey is that dot com com <laughs> I didn't want to say the wrong one your fertility journey.com wonderful and you're very active on Instagram as well so is that what's your Instagram handle Kate? your fertility journey on I Instagram. thought it was yeah, I'm Fabulous. very active on there, less active elsewhere, but <laughs> very active on there. Right. Well, you're you're an excellent person to know for anyone who's you know wanting to learn more about their fertility and get that reliable, qualified advice. So I'm really pleased to to introduce you to everyone that here that's listening if they don't know you already. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Thank, thank you, Kate. It's been lovely to chat with you today. I really appreciate your time, and hopefully this won't be the last time. No, definitely <laughs> not. But thank you. It's been lovely to chat. I'm so pleased you're listening to the Fertile Mindset podcast and now I would love to invite you to join us in the Fertile Mindset Sanctuary. The Sanctuary is my fertility support membership which is focused on taking care of you and helping you enjoy your life while you wait for your baby. In the Sanctuary, I'll guide you through using an amazing technique called EFT or tapping and you'll soon be feeling less stressed and more joyful. If you're not already in the sanctuary, do come and join us today because the best time to start receiving support on your fertility journey is always right now. Honestly, it makes such a difference to have good quality emotional support and techniques that you can pick up and use yourself whenever you need them. Go to fertilemindset.com sanctuary to join us today. I look forward to hopefully seeing you there and at the next episode of the Fertile Mindset Podcast.